Well, if you've been around here for a while, that was a special trip down memory lane, huh? You get to see some of our friends take a very important step of baptism. We're going to be talking about that for a few minutes this morning. Why baptism is significant, why it is important. I have a friend that uh, was raised Catholic, and he's uh, no longer practicing. In fact, uh, faith of any sort really is not that meaningful to him, and church included. Um, But he has a couple of small children, and his mother is really, um, in his words, in his face about him having his children baptized. And he was talking with me about it and was like, why is this such a big deal? And why is my mother pressing me about this? And, you know, she's just, you know, on me so hard about this. I'm thinking about having the children baptized, even though I don't even really know what it's about. And it doesn't matter that much to me. Why would somebody take that kind of step when they have so little understanding or appreciation of it? Because... There's a lot of emotion attached to baptism. There's a lot of uh, conviction. And there's a lot of confusion attached to baptism. And so we're going to be talking about that for a little while over these next few moments uh, and see what God has to say to us about that. And what we're going to find out is that the primary thing about baptism is it's a way that we get to identify with God, to demonstrate that we're one of His people. So how do we do that? How can we uh, begin to discuss that? This is something that is so important. It's one of the last things that Jesus talked about when He was still on this earth before He ascended back to heaven. Some of you are familiar with his words in Matthew 28 when he, in in some of the last words he would ever say, commissioned us, go, make disciples, baptize them. Well, let's uh, take a little trip, shall we? And let's go back in time and uh, let's go back to uh, what was going on in the early days uh, in, in, in the time that Jesus walked on this planet. Because irrespective of what uh, we want to think or talk about baptism, the most important thing is what does Scripture have to say about it? And here's what we're going to find out when we go back and we look at the Scriptures. Nowhere in the Scriptures, nowhere in the Bible, is there any reference, not even one, to babies or infants being baptized. And I don't want you to misunderstand me today because by no means am I uh, attempting or do I have uh, any intent to be critical of our Presbyterian friends or Episcopalian friends or Lutheran friends or or Catholic friends or whomever. In fact, I I don't use the word friend lightly. Uh, I have many friends across Redmond around the east side that are in these different traditions, belong to these churches. The ministers are personal friends of mine. So I, I truly am not critical whatsoever. But there are reasons that they practice infant or baby baptism, and those reasons are tied to church tradition, not to Scripture. And so the journey that I'm going to invite us on today is to go back in time and see what was going on in the day of Jesus, and to look at Scripture to see what it has to say about baptism. 
Because really, people make a choice about what they are going to primarily uh, use as a guide to the expression of their faith. And some have chosen church tradition over Scripture. I have personally, and this church chooses Scripture over church tradition. It's a huge difference. So let's imagine that we're back in the first century. And just imagine that you were born and raised in a Greek family, you Gentile you. And you're growing up in a Roman world. Rome is the power of the day and it's the dominator of the culture. And so uh, as a part of this Greek-Roman experience, you've been exposed to a plurality of gods. Right? There's Zeus and Apollo and Diana and on they go. And you don't pay that much attention to them all because it's more of a cultural thing than a conviction thing. Um, But along the way, you grow up, you become a pretty successful businessman, you become an international businessman, you're doing trade with people from all over the world, and at some juncture you decide it would be advantageous to you as a business person to move to Israel, to Jerusalem. You've got so much good business going on there. So you pack up your family, you move from Greece to Israel. And as you begin to settle in Jerusalem, you find out, man, these Jews take their faith really seriously. I mean, we've got all this plurality of gods that we hardly pay any attention to. They've got one God, and they pay all kinds of attention to that one God. And they worship regularly, and they serve this God regularly, and they give of their financial resources and offerings regularly. What is this all about? And so, as a curious individual, you begin to investigate the God of the Jews. And as you have more conversations, and as you venture into the temple area from time to time, you become convinced that the one God of the Jews is the true God. And you wonder, can a Gentile like me become a God follower like them? And so you go and you ask one of your business associates who's a Jew. I'm beginning to believe the way you believe. Can I, a Gentile, become a participant of your faith and become a Jew? And your business associate says, you know, I really don't know. Never been asked that question before. Let's go talk to a priest. And so you guys go to the temple courtyard area and summon a priest. And a priest comes out and you begin to ask the priest, is this possible? And the priest says, of course it's possible. It's happened many times before where a Gentile begins to understand and see who the one true God is. And they become a follower of God, of Yahweh, as we. There's several things that are involved in a Gentile becoming a Jew. Let's start with the most difficult. Now I know who's been to Sunday school before. (laughs) Because the priest says one of the first things that will have to happen is, uh, as a Gentile, you'll have to be circumcised. And the Greek Gentile businessman goes, "Uh, really? I'm not too wild about that idea. What else is involved in me becoming a Jew? And he says, well, at some point you'll have to accept all the teaching of the Torah, of the law, of the prophets, of the writings. And he says, you know, I already do. And he says, well, at some point you will have to have a ceremonial meal 
And he goes, okay, I'm, I'm all about eating. And what else? And he goes, well, at some point, you're going to have to be ceremonially washed. And it's this experience where you'll get into a cistern, a hole in the ground, and you will kind of wash away your Gentileness and take on Jewish God-fearingness. And so the, the businessman says, well, you give me a lot to think about. Let me go home and talk to my wife about this. So he goes home to talk to his wife about uh, this decision that he thinks he wants to make. And when he gets home, the kids are there and he says, where's mom? And they say, well, mom's down at the river washing the clothes. So he treks over to the Jordan River and begins to tell his wife about the conversation he has with the priest, right? And as he's telling her these things, he keeps hearing this yelling, almost screaming kind of thing going on. And he looks up the river away, and he sees this like wild man who is out there preaching that everyone should repent and be washed. Now the word, the ancient Greek word that that man was using was the same word that the priest used to tell him he was going to have to be ceremonially washed and that's the word baptizo. You go, wow, that sounds kind of familiar. It is. It's a Greek word that never was translated into English. The Greek word means to dip, to immerse, to submerge, to dunk. But it never was translated into English. There is no English word for baptizo. Rather, it was transliterated. That is to say, an equivalent English letter was given to every Greek letter, and the English word became baptize. But it simply means to wash, to dip to immerse, to submerge, to dunk. And this is what the priest had told him about becoming a Jew. And this is what he's now hearing this wild man out in the, in the wilderness preaching about. Now, it was a very common word. You'll recall there was a time when Jesus went into the house of a Pharisee and they were going to be having a meal together. And it was the custom that before you would sit down and have a meal... You would wash. And so a Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him, we're told in Luke eleven, thirty seven and thirty eight. And so Jesus went in, reclined at the table, but the Pharisee noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, and he was surprised. Now, just for those of you that are more linguistically geek like me, that's what it looks like in the Greek. Hode Pharisaios, the Pharisee, Edon Ethelmusin, Hote Al Proton, Ebaptiste. He noticed that he didn't wash. The word is the same word that we now translate as baptize. Now, funny thing, the rest of the New Testament, every time it comes to that word, translates that as baptized. But here in this instance, it's used in the more common Greek usage of wash. So something religious, something spiritual was beginning to be associated with that very common Greek word. So that the word baptized began to be used all the time. So back to the story of 
the businessman down at the Jordan River, he's so curious about this guy screaming and yelling up the river, he goes down there and begins to listen to more of the message. And he's hearing this man proclaim that the long-awaited Messiah of God is soon to come. And you must be ready. You must be prepared. You must have your heart stirred for the coming of the Messiah. And so a part of your preparation is to repent. Turn from your sinful ways. Turn toward God with hope and expectancy and anticipation. And wash away your sins. And so for the very first time in history, something begins to take place right there in the Jordan River with this wild man. People began to come out into the river to where he is, and he begins to wash them, dip them, immerse them, the way we use the word now, baptize them. Well, the Greek guy is just beside himself. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. And he turns to this other guy and he says, what is going on? And the friend says, well, that guy's name is John. And he has been telling us that the, the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, is soon to come. And so everybody that believes his message, everyone that is uh, taking this step of readiness for the Messiah, is going out and he's washing them. And he, he does this everywhere he goes. I mean, to the point that people have nicknamed him John the Washerman. John the Dipper. John the Dunker. John the Baptizer. Now, quite honestly, you know, when I was growing up and I would hear about John the Baptist, I thought it was just like talking about Pete the Presbyterian or Ed the Episcopalian or Mike the Methodist. I didn't understand what went with the whole connotation of him being the baptizer, the washer, the dunker. And those that were believing his message were going through that religious step as a mark, as a point of identifying with his movement. Well, as you know the rest of the story, as he's out there in the Jordan River baptizing people, Jesus comes and comes up to John and says, I want to be baptized. Wash me. And John says, oh, I can't wash you because he recognizes him. He says, you, Jesus, must wash me. And Jesus said, no, you must wash me. And so with some reluctance, John baptizes or washes Jesus. And when uh, that event takes place, John then announces to all those listening, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that point, many that had gathered at the Jordan, hearing John's message and becoming followers of John, having been baptized by John, now became followers of Jesus. And guess what happened? As they began to follow after Jesus, Jesus' disciples, Jesus' main guys, began to wash Jesus' followers, baptize them. As they had been following John, they received this 
baptism of repentance, but now as they're following Jesus, they're receiving this baptism in the name of Jesus. This washing, this marker, if you will, in their lives of following Jesus. Now, funny thing happened. Some of the guys that began to follow John were so taken with his message that they soon began to travel the world. And everywhere they went, they gave John's message. The one that we have been waiting for soon to come. The anointed one of God. The Messiah of God is soon to come. Repent. Be washed. Be baptized in anticipation of the coming of the Christ. And they're doing this all over Asia and, and, and soon Europe. And as you know, later uh, there was a guy by the name of Saul who also became a follower of Jesus, and we began to call him Paul, and he began to go all over the world preaching about Jesus and starting churches and washing or immersing or, or baptizing people in the name of Jesus. And in his travels, he runs into these followers of John in their travels, and he hears them giving John's message. And he is just beside himself when he hears them giving John's message because obviously these guys have been traveling around the world. And they don't even know. The Messiah has come. The Christ has come. He has lived a perfect life. He has died an atoning death on the cross. He was buried in a grave. Three days later he rose. He ascended back to the Father. They don't even know. And so after they have given their little message of repent and get ready and all this, Paul gets them aside and says, Hey guys, let me, let me tell you the rest of the story. John's dead. John so believed that the Messiah had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, he went to a, a prison, to a dungeon, lost his head, and Jesus is the one that John believed in. Jesus is the one John had prophesied about. And, and, and he tells the whole Jesus story. Now, notice what happened here in the Scriptures. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told these guys to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And so on hearing this, they were then baptized, rebaptized, into the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 19, verses 4 and 5. So you begin to get this picture that baptism from its inception was a step that a believer would take to identify with whom he believed. You could be a Gentile and be washed or baptized into Jewishness to follow God as a Jew. Or you could begin to believe, as John did, that the Messiah is soon to come, and then therefore you would be baptized as a marker, as a, a way of identifying with that message. And then after the coming of Jesus, you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was that Christ, died for your sin, rose again, and is at the right hand of the Father, then you would be baptized in Jesus' name to identify with Him. That's the way it was in the beginning, and that's the way it has been through all these years. But along the way, various church traditions began to practice it with babies and infants for reasons known to them. 
Each of those groups has a little different take on why they would do that with babies and infants. But for the majority of the believing world in that day and through the succeeding centuries, it has been something that believers have done as a way to identify with the one in whom they believe. Now that's not to uh, disparage or to put down anyone's experience that they might have had as an infant. Because I'm sure that whole experience was very meaningful to the parents who had their child baptized. Usually it was some kind of mark of dedicating the child and themselves to the person of God and to the purposes of God, that kind of thing. But it's an altogether different experience than a believer being baptized as a way to identify with Jesus. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Gentiles would do it publicly to identify with Jews. Followers of John would do it publicly to identify with John. Followers of Jesus would do it publicly to identify with Jesus. A public declaration of a new association. So here's some conclusions. Baptism is for individuals who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And so as I go through these conclusions, let me just encourage you to ask yourself these questions. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Do you believe with all your heart that He is the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah? He's the Savior. His death atoned for your sin. And He resurrected to rule and to reign today as Lord. Do you believe that? If you do, then baptism would be a very important step for you. But here's something else to take into consideration. Infant baptism if that was your experience, may give you a false sense of security. Although it has meaning and although it has significance, it does not reconcile you with God. It does not bring about forgiveness of your sins. It does not uh, bring about a relationship with the living God that takes you to heaven someday when you die. Baptism just in and of itself at whatever age does not do that. Does not bring forgiveness. Does not bring reconciliation with God. Rather it is a marker that those things have already happened in you as you have already become a believer and follower of Jesus. And the second thing that I would want to underscore and I understand there are a number of teachings out there. There are a number of texts out of the scriptures that have been kind of lifted out in isolation, out of their context. And it would seem to say that those who get baptized are saved. But if you look at it in context, and if you look at the overall weight of the teaching of scriptures, baptism was never held as something that saves. It is a marker of those who have been saved. You go, well, I, I read in the scriptures where so-and-so and his household were baptized. 
Well, that's true. That happened in a number of places. It also happened in my family. I and my household had been baptized. But my children were 9 and 10 at the time. So it doesn't necessarily imply that babies or infants were being baptized when a household were becoming followers of Jesus. So you go, well, Scott, I just saw some of these pictures up there, and you had children in those pictures being baptized. Friends, that's because after a, a meaningful conversation with the child, we became convinced that they, in fact, were believing in Jesus and were taking a willful or volitional choice based on a conviction in their heart to be baptized and identify themselves with Jesus. Now, there are sometimes we have these conversations with children and we're not exactly sure they know exactly what they're doing. And so we encourage mom and dad to delay. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit later when they get a little bit older and when they understand some of this a little bit more. Uh, but we're very, very careful in the practice of baptizing children for that very, very reason. So let me ask you. Are you a follower of Christ? You go, well, uh, that's a decision that I know I need to make. Are you ready to make that decision today? I, I, I don't mean that in a manipulative way. I mean that in an investigative way. Have you satisfied through your own prayer or investigative process, I think Jesus is the Christ. I think he's the Savior. I want to give my life to him. Then if you do, then let me encourage you to take the connection card that we referenced earlier today. And on the back side, upper left-hand corner, it says, I want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus. I'd encourage you to check that so that would come to my attention. And I'll pray with you. I'll have a conversation with you. I'll help to unpack some of that with you uh, as you desire. But let me ask a second question. If you've become a believer, have you identified with Christ as a believer by being baptized? As you've already heard today, we're going to have a baptism service right in this room, Sunday, June 14. And if you think you're ready to take that step, then on that same card, there's a little blank you can check that you want to participate in that day. And that will come to my attention, and I will follow up with you about that. Let's pray together. So, Father, uh, we're grateful that all through the generations and centuries, men and women have believed and followed you. And as, as we have taken that same kind of step, we, we are part of a large gathering of Christ followers through all the ages. Today we pray for our friend in this room or who's listening to this talk that's trying to figure out Jesus and how they will or will not follow him. And we pray for them today. Lord, would you by your spirit help them to make sense of these things? 
Would you, by your Spirit, give some leadership to their life, help them to see a next step to take? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.